This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. There we go. You like that one? It's funny to say. <laughs> Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah in a bomb shelter. Not that there's bombs, they're just doing construction on our regular floor for the next day or two, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, um, so here we are, we're, we're in the first candle of Hanukkah, and yesterday I, I gave the intro to Hanukkah, which was kind of rough, apologize anyone who was here, um, and I promised, uh, I promised more um, uh, that we would go lighter, lighter and, and here we go. Our job as as Jews is to be the most spiritual people ever. Like you're you're supposed to be the most spiritual person anyone ever met. Like can you imagine being the most spiritual person anyone ever met? Like like meaning your entire neighborhood, your entire high school, your entire like like whoever meets you is just like, whoa, he's the most or she is the most spiritual person I have ever met. Now, it turns out that we're really into being interfaced in the material world. Jews are very interfaced because God didn't want us to be meditating on mountaintops. But it wasn't to be at the expense of spirituality. Spirituality is supposed to be just as intense as the most spiritual people on the planet who most people would re- refer to as, as, you know, generally meditators, Buddhists, you know, shamans, uh, you know, like, these, these are considered highly spiritual people. Whereas Jews are, we're just so uh, integrated in the material world that we just don't come off as very spiritual. And I also find that I meet a lot of Jews, especially young Jews today, who feel not very spiritual. And I meet Jews who are older who just have stopped letting that bother them. But, but that we don't necessarily feel so spiritual. And perhaps that has to do with our approach to spirituality. Maybe our approach is a bit off. Now, I would suggest that the reason our approach is off regarding spirituality is because we, have, we don't have the best examples. Because Jews are very proud of their integration in, in the material world, but very proud. Like, Jewish businessmen are proud to be Jewish businessmen, and Hollywood's proud to be the Jewish Hollywood, and, and, the, uh, and the, the artists are, like, proud to be Jewish artists, and... Jewish musicians are proud to be Jewish musicians, but they're proud about the music and the art and the and the uh, the uh, business and the medicine and the and the Hollywood and the they're much more proud of that part. You know, there's there's more bar than mitzvah at the bar mitzvah. You know, there's more modern than orthodox in the modern orthodox. You know, the 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 we're we're overly proud of that part, and we're not necessarily grounded in our spirituality. So, so we need to have that access. We need direct access to that spiritual approach while being totally integrated. Meaning, meaning a lot of people think that you have to compromise between spirit and material, between the, your material interaction and your spirit interaction. And, and I meaning you got to like kind of blend it so that your spirit side's high and your material side's high. But they... But what happens is when people try to blend two things, they generally, things get watered down quite a bit. So you, probably every man in here believes that if he were to go full on spiritually, that he'd probably wind up poor. 
I imagine most of you feel that way. That if you were to go full on spiritually, you'd probably wind up poor. And if you would, and if you would go, and, and probably the majority of you would feel that if you'd go full on money or full on whatever skill you bring to the world, that you'd probably wind up spiritually poor. Like most of us feel this as a conflict. And, and it is a conflict for Gentiles. It's just not a conflict for us. Meaning, meaning for a Gentile to reach spirituality, they do have to divorce physicality to you know, a big extent. And that's why you'll notice that most spiritualities amongst the Gentiles have a priesthood. They have people who have taken some kind of monastic vows, like monks. Or that's called a monastic vow to be a monk. They've taken on some kind of a, a, a cut off from the material, and I understand them. Whereas the, the Jewish people, we don't have that. In fact, you can't even be called a rabbi if you're not married. You, know, you have to be involved, which means you're involved uh, physically, like in the intimacy means that you got kids being born, which means now you got to pay for those kids being born, which means you got to be involved monetarily, you got to be involved in money and stuff like that, which means you're, you're just going to be inter- interfacing with the physical world. So, so the, the spirit aspect that Gentiles have to jump to and the physical aspect that, that Jews have to be connected to is it's not a conflict for us. It is a conflict for Gentiles. That for Gentiles to get to spirituality, they do have to leave this world. But for a Jew to do that, for a Jew to leave this world, he's going to have hell to pay with God upstairs if he just went full spirit. Now, if he's a Rebbe or something like that, like he's a big Kabbalistic leader um, on that level. So, okay, he's, he's off the hook, meaning he's allowed to do that. But if he's, but if he's a regular Jew... You can't, you can't compromise these two. So I'd like to look at the word spiritual. Um, it's getting, now it's really stuffy. Now I know why they did that. Um, maybe uh, whoever has the most courage could open the door and, and if there are people making noise, tell them to please be quiet. No noise? Yeah, open it wide. Did you guys notice it got stuffy? In here? Anyone not notice it got stuffy? Yeah, everyone knows. And then we just need to tell whoever's out there to be quiet. Everyone needs to be quiet. So when you look at the word spiritual, you'll notice two words. You see the word spirit, and you see the word ritual. You got spirit, which is, you know, I mean, you can't really define it. And then you got ritual, which you can define. Rituals, can you video someone doing a ritual? Yeah, Yeah, they take place physical, space and time inside this world. So the ritual of life is physical, so we could call that the body. And spirit, does it have uh, physicality involved? No, No, there's no physicality involved in spirit. And that's the term, spirit. Which is, there's no English definition for the word spirit, but I could give you the Latin uh, definition of it, which might help. It means air in lungs. Air in lungs. Which is kind of a funny definition. But it does mean air in lungs, and, and that's why we have, if you run, you perspire. 
If you pass out, they put on a respirator. It respires your lungs. If you if they fail, you expire. Okay? It's called dying. Is expire means there's no more air in the lungs, and and there's not gonna be. That's called expiring. When you see the Swiss Alps, you what? Inspire. Like when you're inspired, you you kind of take in a deep breath for inspiration. What are other words with spire? Can you guys think of any? Aspire. Aspire, right. That's a, when you're dreaming for something. So like something's inspiring you to, to get motivated. So you're aspiring. Very nice. That's cool. Aspire. Especially like that it's Hebrew is when you're, it's future. Hebrew puts an aleph at the beginning. So it's aspire. Uh, what else? That was cute. Sapphire. Sapphire. Is Reese Sapphire. I like that. That was great too. Sapphire. No, satire. Satire. Satire is also cute. That's what she said. Yeah, we're looking for the word spire. Respire. Respire. We always spoke about that. We mentioned respire, like a respirator. Spiral. That's cool. Okay, but anyway, no. All together, it means soul, okay? Now, if you look at the ritual, that's called ma in Hebrew. It's called ma. What does ma mean? What? Okay. And the spire part, what gives inspiration is what? Hmm? Yeah, lima. 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 So there's what? And then there's lima, which is why. Which is the same in Spanish, right? There's there's K and porque. Okay? K and porque. For what and for what. Meaning what's the purpose? Now yesterday, our focus on yesterday's class was our pursuit of meaning. That we want to have meaningful lives. And so this doesn't give meaning. This gives meaning. But just meaning in itself isn't enough. We need to ground the meaning into some kind of action. So the rituals, like for example... Um, those who study Torah. Anyone here ever go to yeshiva? Anyone? Raise your hand if you've ever been in yeshiva. Okay? You notice you studied mostly what? <laughs> well, exactly. You studied <laughs> What did you mostly study? <laughs> right. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, you're always studying what? Which is, which is called God's will. God's will. And that, what is God's will? So the Mishnah, the Gemara, the Shulchan Aruch, Jewish law, is the what? So this is the 613, and obviously the 55,000 laws, the, the 613 commandments, and the 55,000 laws that tell you how to do them, because the Torah never defines how to do a commandment. That's the oral law. So that, you got the, you got all the what's. And that's what they basically taught you, if you grew up in an observant community. Any girls here grew up observant with seminaries and all that stuff? Yeah, the girls are lucky. They get a little more why. You know, they get more, much more wise. They're, they're very lucky, and it makes them very wise. But the, but they have, the other issue is they have to actually marry some guy who never studied any of this stuff, which is a little rough, because a woman's supposed to respect her husband. And so the husband's worldview is, is greatly lacking because he spent all this time studying, you know, the what? So he's really good at what? Now, women like to know the what as well, so they're happy about that part. But, but they, they, like, they also want everything in context. 
to know why why we're doing all this. And the men don't necessarily know why, they more know the what. Except for those men who studied into these things. And I, it's probably uh, mostly what I teach about, is why we do what we do, which my classes can be quite popular with people raised observant, because they're, they're, that's the part they need. Like they, they know what already. They're like up to here with what. And, um, and by the way, you, we can get very bogged down with what's. Very bogged down. The more what's, Without missing wise, can really bog you down, um, and that's uh, back to the meaning thing. Is is like if you tell me the what is to turn a crank on and it's going through this wall, so just give me the why, just give me the why, and I'm all good, you know. But uh, imagine guy has a gun to my head, so I got a why. <laughs> I'm turning it. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, I'm turning, that's the why. But after a while, I'm like, well, I'm wondering what I'm turning, because I hear a lot of noise on the other side. Am I turning a machine gun that's, like, mowing down innocent people? You know, is that what's going on? So then I'll take the bullet. That's the law. Law is to take the bullet, you know, if that's what's happening. Am I grinding wheat for hungry people? You can take away your gun. I, I got enough wine to keep turning it. But what if it's just doing nothing? What if there's just a, something on the other side just spinning, <laughs> attached to nothing? Mm, shoot me. Don't shoot me. Some point shoot me. Yeah, at some point shoot me. <laughs> After enough days of that, like you know, I'd rather die. And and hence the, the death of spirit and the ultimate bog down of ritual. Now, if you look at this, this is really the soul body makeup, which is your life. Your life is soul and body. Now what do you call it what do you call a body without a soul? That's a nice way of saying something else. What do you call a body without a soul? Animals have souls. A corpse, right. Dead, a cadaver. A body without a soul is dead. And so too, a ritual, a ritual without spirit is what? Dead ritual. And we all know of such things as dead ritual. I mean, we've all had rituals die on us. Haven't you had rituals die on you? You know, I mean, how about a guy who, who wants to marry a girl who only dates bodybuilders, but he's never been a bodybuilder. And so he goes and he says, well, I really want this girl, so, so I'll, I'll go work out. And he has a, keeps a picture with, of her, like across from him. So when he's doing like chest muscles, he's got a picture on a little post-it, you know. And then when he does, uh, when he does uh, bench press, looking at the ceiling, you know, he, has, he pops the picture up on the ceiling. And as long as he's got her picture up there, the weights, they weigh nothing until like he's in his like 10th rep, maybe then he starts to feel it a bit, but he's got the why. So the what's like, you know, no problem. He's happily motivated because when your life's meaningful, you, you're moving. So he's got the why, what's moving, everything's great. But then on his way to the gym, now he still hasn't asked her out. And he probably should have earlier because on his way to the gym after three months of working out when he's finally getting ready to, like he's finally got some muscles to finally ask her out. He gets a phone call from his best friend that she's engaged. Ouch. Ouch. Ladies, is it possible to bring me two waters, please? Um, so, and you know, he's on his way to the gym anyway, so he goes in and you know, goes in the locker room, puts on his sweats and stuff, goes into the gym, 
And now he's ready to bench press. At this point, he's already at, like, bench pressing, like, 275. And he, no one assists him anymore because he's, you know, 275 he's got, you know. And, of course, he's, 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 like, thrown away. He, like, crumpled up the picture of her and, like, threw it in the garbage. Thank you. So now he pulls off the 275, and guess what happens? <laughs> Breaks his ribs. And now he's pinned to the bench. He's pinned to the bench. He can't get it off of him. What did he lose? The wise. wise. What he, the what's a 275 pound weight? Right on his chest. And this, what we're talking about here, has been the death of so much Judaism. And one of the reasons that that's been, and you guys, by the way, are, are sadly, you have inherited this Judaism. I mean, you inherited this. This wasn't like you're doing. This came after the last 200 years, our worst years in exile. These are our worst years in exile. The, the fiddler in the roof days of living in shtetls in Europe, in shtetls in, in Iraq, Iran, Morocco, and all those places, Judaism thrived those years. It thrived. Maybe the scholarship wasn't that high, but they, there certainly were scholars. Every town had a rebbe there. And, and, uh, but everyone, you know, was thriving in their Judaism. You know, we were peasants, but, but literate pence peasants. And, and there were pogroms, and there were rough times, and there were expulsions. Like, we went through some hell, but the hell was more physical than spiritual. Things were pretty good for us spiritually in exile. But the last 200 years have been really rough. We had the Industrial Revolution. So, like, most Jews just hit the road. Like, what do I need from Judaism? Like, mechanization, you know, the power of man, you know, like, science. Oh, now we understand things. We don't need God to be, the like, the great answer to the question marks of this world. We can answer those questions ourselves. Which, of course, to us today, we, we, you think what losers those people were who gave up Judaism because of science? <laughs> when we learn science, we're excited. We're like, look at the precision of the Creator. You know, the, the more we see that, for example, in astronomy, they can actually know what position the sun's going to be in 28 years from now. And it really will be there to, like the, to the literal decimal point of, of the angle. For thus, that excites us about God. You know, ma, ma, uh, <laughs> did a lousy job quoting, ma, rabu, ma, ma, gadlu ma'asecha? Ma'od. Yeah, how, how great are your, are your deeds, God, to this precision. But we weren't alive then. I think that people just weren't used to the scientific method and like all of a sudden this like, influx of understanding of the environment that we're in that people just I guess thought that maybe God's out which is today would seem like the biggest joke in the world like all it's showing is the precision of the creator nothing else you know and it makes all the sense in the world that we'd see that level of precision looking into the sky but but or into science nevertheless we have the industrial revolution then we have the enlightenment movement that's when you know uh, Europe got out from under the thumb of the church and the secular movement began and academia and science and etc. and all of that. But then we had these major things happen. For example, World War One. 
you know, just blew everybody away. Just blew the whole planet away. Except for, you know, people living in far-flung lands that didn't experience World War I. Israel being one of them. And, uh, and then there was World War II and the Holocaust. And it's really tough to know how, where we lost more... It's not tough to know. We've lost more Jews to the Enlightenment than we have to the Holocaust. And you can even say that the people in the Holocaust were better off than the secularized ones. Because in the Holocaust, they lost their body. Which, anyways, we're all... No one in this room is not going to be losing that at some point. Like, that's going. The question is when. So their lives were cut short, at least physically. But their spirits were not cut short because spirit's not physical. Where do, how do you kill a soul? Where do you kill a soul? Where do you put a knife for killing a soul? <laughs> the answer is you, you slice a piece of pork and put it in your mouth. That's how you, that's where you, sli- that's how you slice a soul. Yeah? But, uh, but you could, I mean, can you imagine that, that people in the Holocaust are better off than you? Meaning getting killed in the Holocaust. I'm not saying surviving. I'm saying getting killed in the Holocaust would be a better lot than having your soul get cut off by bad decision making. As you know, just as being part of our tribe, it's you know you you want to you want to go against the rules of the tribe of the tribe. Okay, good luck. You know, good luck, wise guy. You know, you think you know better than three thousand three hundred and thirty years of an ancestral heritage? Okay. Try your, try your luck. Try your luck. I wouldn't want to be you. You know, that's, that's, not, that's probably not a good idea. And again, what I'm saying is just beyond being devout. Like, I'm into being devout because I want to actually use my spirit. But I don't want to cut off, cut myself off, the, you, know, you know, completely from this. So, like, certainly, certainly go, at least figure out the big stuff, the 613 and Make sure, to the best of your knowledge, you're keeping it. Because you, you don't want to mess with the tribal member. You don't want to mess with your tribal membership. You know, like you don't, you don't want to play with that stuff. Because that's your eternity. You know, that's, that's your eternity. So you got to hedge your bets a bit. Even if you're in doubt of God or doubt of Torah. But you can't be a total idiot. You know, you got thousands of years of history here that keep coming true. I mean, God's batting a thousand. You know, if you start from Adam and you get all the way to 5,769 years later, and there's only a 6,000-year calendar, so we only got 221 years left. Is that right? You have 221 years left for all of the cycle that the Torah promises to get to the third temple before the 6,000, meaning somewhere in the 221 has got to be a temple period. And we're sitting here like, look where we're sitting. All of us, right now, if I opened up the main door, all of us could be literally at the Temple Mount. They'd also have to open that door too. But we could all be standing in the place of Beit HaMikdash after 2,000 years of exile. We could all run there. Maybe 35 seconds? 40 seconds? We would all be standing on the Temple Mount with a with a full Israeli-Jewish-run commonwealth. Like, How'd that happen? All within our worst time of history, the worst stuff we've ever been through in thousands of years, somehow this happened. Meaning at the point where our spirit was the most broken, which is these last 200 years, where our spirit was completely destroyed, where there's like, 
There was almost nothing left of us. God's like, well, I see they're not going to be able to do much about any of this, so I'll just do it for them. And you want to know something? I mean, you call me crazy, and I don't know if this is true, so whatever I'm about to say, you can say it's just the craziest thing you ever heard. But I believe the Industrial Revolution came around when it did, and the Enlightenment, meaning the secularization, came around when it did, just so the Jews would bail. Just so the Jews would bail. Because if the Jews bail, right, do Jews stay at the bottom of a pit? How long do Jews stay down? How long did it take the Holocaust survivors to rise up to the top levels economically in every city they moved to? How many years do you think that took compared to blacks who were enslaved hundreds of years ago? A few hours. <laughs> no, it took, it took about a decade. It wasn't 20, 30 years. It took about a decade. And all of them who went into the, whatever industries they went into after that war, even though they came in emaciated after the camps, after the, you know, the, what do we call the liberation camps. As soon as they got their body weight back, they got their, their, their financial and every other area of success, they got it all back. Like that. Just jump right back to it. But the industrialists who turned Zionist, they built this country like overnight. Boom. They built the country. So this was all part of God's plan because he knew, you know, we're just, we're pretty hapless. We're not going to make anything happen. So, so he made it happen. Now, I'm gonna, I have a question for y'all. When the spirit's getting trashed and we're going through major hell spiritually, spirit, sorry, spiritly, and physically, we're getting torn asunder by the pogroms and by the world wars and the Holocaust and all that. What's an exile is like getting sent from country to country? What do you think is the first to go? Spirit or ritual? The whys or the what's? What do you think is going to go first? Which one are we going to dispose of first? Whys or the what's? It's a tough question. I know you guys are thinking, hmm, whys, what's, which one would you? And you think about it. You have a wife and kids, yeah? You have a wife and kids, Okay. The what's now, let's say, what's your name? Yaakov, you have a wife and kids, and you're going to have to be literally running for your lives tomorrow morning. I Meaning you're just filling whatever suitcase you can, you're running for your lives from some city, some country in Poland, you know, some village in Poland. And then you're going to be running again five years later, and then you're going to be running again, and you're just going to be like barely getting by, barely surviving, but you're surviving. Okay, what are you going to be teaching your kid, the whys or the what's? Yaakov. The whys. Teach them the whys. Now, he said the whys. Who says the whys? Okay, go ahead. Because, well... He doesn't have time to think about the whys. Exactly. <laughs> if, you're, if you're going to choose the whys or the whats, the whys tell you why you do it, and the whats um, describe... What to uh, do. Yeah, what to do, exactly. So which one are you going to go for the whats? Yes. Yeah? What about the how? How's part of what? That's part of what's, yeah? I think you need to be teaching them the whys because you'll only survive with the why. You won't really, if there's a why, usually people can get through stuff. But they, they, some, you know what I mean? But if it's just a We why, gotta let go of one because they did. I'll give you all a hint at the right answer. The right answer is that it, this already happened. It already happened. So you you got to think, what did people really go for in the end? The whys or the what's? 
Sammy, what are you going to say? Which one? They definitely went to the West. I mean, this whole why thing is a modern day issue. People that people that used to like wonder how they eat the next sandwich. Never did they have hundreds of sandwiches hanging around. We have like reverse issues that they had back then. Reverse issues. Yeah, they used to have a problem of like where to eat. Now we have too much food. Like the same idea. We have time to think about it now. Then we didn't. It's a bit of a luxury. Well, I certainly know why, whenever I ask this question, the first person like Yaakov will say the why. Because for us, he's right. Like, we just... Like, and w- until you get your basic needs met, you're not really thinking of the luxury of why. But when you have the luxury of all the what's, things get meaningless fast, and they have to start putting up nets under the Brooklyn Bridge. Because w- once my what's are satisfied... People and the wives aren't really getting good answers. I'll tell you this, the, the Enlightenment movement did not do a good service to humanity. They, had they only known that the plenty that the, that the Industrial Revolution and the Enlightenment were going to bring were going to lead to some of the biggest existential crisis ever. Like, we're in that crisis now. Big time. Big time. And the amount of medications people are on today... And the, the amount of, of uh, isolation people are experiencing on their, on their technology, the amounts of serious depression and suicidal tendencies today, it's, these problems just didn't exist in the, what year, in, the, in the years where what was missing. But now we live in a land of what. Now in the Jewish world, what happened was most people inherited the same exact situation. They inherited what. Raise your hand if your parents were good at letting at telling you what you should be doing, but not so good at telling you why. Raise your hand if you got that. Don't worry, no one's being filmed here. Okay? And it's the vast majority of the people in the room wait, raise their hands. Raise your hand if they didn't have the what or the why, if, meaning you were raised like me, where you were raised a little more on the secular side of things. No, no what's about Judaism, not a lot of whys about Judaism either. So we were raised without what or why. Anyway... For those of you, which is the majority of the people in the room who are raised with the what's and that, the why's, that's why you're here. It's because you want the why's. You want that motivation. You want to get in there and make the body come alive with the, with the why's. Now, what happens when parents try to get you to do things based on what without the why's? How's that go? Doesn't go so well. And, but then uh, you, but you got to give teenagers a break because even if you tell teenagers the wise, <laughs> they're just like, "That's nice, that's nice," because because teenagers, you know how they call sixteen in Hebrew? You know how they say sixteen, sheshesrei. You know what it's called in, for amongst the Hebrews in Israel? It's called tipeshesrei. Tipeshesrei means. I can't translate it, but the word T-Page means idiot. Yeah? So, meaning, meaning you, there's, no, there's nothing you can do. Somewhere between 16 and 20, your hormonal setup is just going to be so crazy that your brain's just a soup of, of raw material. And you, when your parents talk to you, it's just like, you're, you're just like, your eyes are just going like that. You know, and it's like, it just doesn't mean anything at all, what's being said. And once in a while you get a kid who gets it, but they're usually this, the younger sibling of the kid who went crazy. <laughs> Some younger, younger sibling's just like, well, that didn't go so well for, for brother, you know. So let's try something else. 
see how that works. Yeah. Mm. I started um, asking about the, the what and the, the why. It seems like um, by generation, like your parents, they like they make you go to Hebrew school. They make you, you know, learn the what. But then they're like, okay, but you can marry anyone you want, which totally like kind of misses the point of this huge, like you know, just Torah education. That they. Yeah, yeah. There's certain things that they do, and then yeah, yeah. Important things they. Sure. Yeah. 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 The majority of people in this room had the parents were a little more integrated with, with the teaching, and then there's the the reform conservative, reconstructionist movement where, where, uh, things are taught more, a little more intellectually, but not not necessarily to be practically applied, in life. This is. This is one of the greatest moments ever in class. Your head was hitting the camera. <laughs> that was classic. I didn't want you to move. Uh, I just wanted it to keep going so I would remember this great moment. Okay, now... Okay, we got the what's and the why's. Now we're going to go a little deeper here. And... Look, on the, on the left side, we've got Eastern Traditions. So this stands for Eastern Traditions. On the right side, we've got Western Traditions. Okay? People of Eastern Tradition are generally much more into spirit. And we spoke about them yesterday. Those are the Semites. So Semites, meaning from the, Medi- from the, from the Eastern Mediterranean eastward, you have the, the um, more spirit-oriented people. And from the from the Mediterranean westward, you know, once you're in Greece and on, you got much more ritual-oriented people. This is why you'll have, like, for example, the the ultimate expression of Westernism is, is the United States. The United States is a country, I think, I, is it possible that I'm right about this, that the 300 million Americans consume more than a billion uh, Indians? I think I'm right about that. In food? Just I don't know about food, maybe even in food, but uh, but the uh, food I doubt, but but definitely as far as just the consumerism is massive in the West, massive in the West, and and their their resources don't match it at all, so they've got to kind of suck it out of the planet as much as they can to to kind of pay for the habit, and they and they're also very they've been very addicted to fossil fuels, which is. Created, it's created quite a tension on the earth because most of those fossil fuels were were found in Arab countries, which means now now ASAV America, you know, United States of, of ASAV, and and Yishmael, two non friends of Israel, are so like ASAV's the heroin addict, and Yishmael's the dealer. <laughs> And then Israel's perfectly with all the Ishmaelim, all the Middle Easterners, and we're trying to like reclaim our country here. And we've got like tons of Jews in Western countries, you know, especially before the war, but certainly now still, we have tons of Jews in Western countries and positions, high positions of power. So Asim can't just sell us out, but they'd like to because they're heroin addicts and heroin addicts steal from their own parents you know they'll, they'll do it there's no rules when you're a heroin addict <laughs> you just just whatever you can get away with you know you just pillage until you get your fix 
So, but meanwhile, they all have to deal with Jews because Jews are lobbyists, Jews are in Washington, Jews are in every industry. You're going to find another Jew in the West. So, like, what are you supposed to do with these these Jews? But look at this one sec. Look at this perfect tension. And also, just one more thing is people sometimes wonder, you know, well, if God created the world, like, why did why do we find fossils? Why are there fossils? Why are there like whole other eras, like epochs of periods of time? And the answer is that God had to create whole areas of oil embedded inside the planet for the end game. Meaning the end game, like for the whole setup of the end of the chess game of humanity in their relationship to good and evil, which is really all we're here to do is have this kind of coming to good. All of that had to be set up with this, this consumerism of Asaph. Remember, he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Like, his beginnings are totally in consumerism. And, and then Yishmael, you know, hear the call of God, you know. Yeah, so it's like, never goes away. You know, this hear the voice of God, you know, listen up, everybody. You know, and, they, and, and, they're, uh, and then just the still, small voice of Jacob. Remember, it's the voice of Jacob. The hands of Ace of industrialism. It's here God says to the Muslims, and they're Semitic, so they're real simple. Unless you're the king, and and then there's and then there's the voice of Jacob, just this little voice of Jacob. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu. Yeah, it's a little voice. That was once a roar of a voice during temple times. And it's going to be a roar of a voice later. But, and that roar is coming up, by the way. I mean, you can hear it. I was just surfing in, when I was surfing in Ashdod yesterday, it's near Naval Base, and uh, uh, Air Force Base. And there, there was roar. There was plenty of roar going on while we were surfing. There was the roar of the waves. But sometimes it was, you couldn't even hear your wave. It was just a roar of an F-16 or one of those fancier ones. F-35s flying over us. You know, we're, we're definitely getting towards roaring. You know, the Jews are, have, have a roar happening with us. And anyway, but for those who wondered about fossil fuels and why there's these whole epochs that don't seem to have anything to do with the human stage of the show, well, they have everything to do with the human stage of the show. You got that? Like, it's quite connected quite connected, and it makes all the sense in the world, especially without humans on board, as long as there's no humans on the planet, so you can just, you know, set the stage, and that's perhaps what God did. Now, then again, there are literalists who like to hold everyone to the 6,000-year creation, meaning the whole creation really happened in six days, and there are literalists, but they're not, that's not very Kabbalistically founded, that's more, uh, that's more... You know, whatever. You have to like kind of turn your back on on Jewish mysticism if you want to hold be a literalist about the six days. Um, question. Someone had a, you had a question. I forgot your name. Yeah, Joel. Is there a spiritual reason that the the Jews left the East and are still in the West? So Jews were never big in the East besides Middle East. We haven't been big in India except for a couple lost tribes. So. Um, the why we've been hanging around the West all this time? Yeah, there, there's some cool reasons for that, for sure. For sure, there's some cool reasons. But one of the main reasons um, is just a little boring, and that's that uh, 
that the Romans are the ones who exiled us and they brought us to Europe. You know, we worked for them for quite some time. You know, we the whole world dealt with Rome for a really long time and, and the Jews majorly had to deal with Rome for centuries. And till, till Roman Empire fell, we were completely at their service. And then once they fell, we were kind of already in those countries, Western countries. This is why Ashkenazic Nusach in the prayer book is pretty important because that's really the original uh, Ashkenaz, meaning the old areas of Rome were partially were Ashkenaz, parts of Germany, and Jews were there, and, and we still have what was the post-temple words. The Sephardic Jews and the Hasidic Jews have added Kabbalistic words here and there, which I do say, but I always say them with parentheses around my heart. Just in case, just in case I was supposed to be doing the bare bones Ashkenazic prayers, you know, because those were the, that is really the original thing from, two, from when the Romans exiled us. That's, that was the formula in our prayer book, how we say the, you know, the, those 19 benedictions. Yeah, this is probably the most boring class I've ever taught. I don't know why I'm doing this to you guys. It is, I mean, it's informational, I suppose. Hope it's been interesting, but we're not quite done. We just need another minute. We're almost done. Um, just to get this, and that is that. That um, what's the what's right between east and west geographically? What's between India and Rome? The Middle East. The Middle East, excellent. And we're in the Middle East. Jerusalem. Jerusalem's right down the middle of those places. We're right in the center of all that. It's like the same number of hours flight both directions. We're right there. And interestingly, when you look at Eastern concept of time, it's cyclical. And when you look at the Western concept of time, it's linear. And it didn't used to be linear, it just became linear over time, meaning, I mean, once whatever tribes lived in Europe, it got got in touch with, uh, you know, Judaism and Christianity and all that stuff. They just, something about the words in the beginning, like, made it seem linear. You know, in the beginning. Who said anything? Go talk about beginning with Indians. You know, they'd be like, huh? There's no beginning. Like, it just keeps going. And uh, whereas Westerners take who take our Bible literally, like that in the beginning has had a major influence on the West. Except the funny thing is we're not, we're not linear time people. Jews aren't linear time people. No spiritual tradition like that's truly Kabbalistically <coughs> grounded is going to be based in linear thinking. It's always going to be cyclical thinking. All spirituality exists with a cyclical view of the world, that everything's cycled. Everything's cycles, and time is cycles. Now, if God hadn't said in the beginning, we wouldn't even have known there. How would we ever know? There was a beginning. I mean, today we would, because the Big Bang automatically means there was a beginning. But, but without modern, uh, without today's modern theoretical physics of knowing the Big Bang theory, we would never have thought about it. It's just that we've got a prophetic book that says the very first words are in the beginning. God created heaven and earth, which means before that there was no heaven and earth. So, so, but, but we're not going to cut ourselves off spiritually like the other Western religions who have stuck with this whole thing. And, of 
course, you know, they get really stuck when they discuss it in any detail because before there was something, what was there? Nothing. Nothing. And they don't have the maturity to call God nothing. Only Jews have that maturity to call God nothing. They're always saying who God is. Like, they love saying who God is. And Jews are like, okay, you're wrong. Okay? Whoever you think God is, he's not. You know, because think about it. If you, once you already have a concept of God, he can't be that. I mean, that could be within the realm of possibilities for God being that, but if you have, think about it, every concept you could ever have is finite. Because once you have a concept of something, it's not the other. It's not its opposite, right? If you say cold, it's not hot. If you say, if you say light, it's not dark. If you say dark, it's not light. Every concept you have has to be that and not the other. Well, that's automatically not God. Because God's not finite. And so therefore it's inconceivable. And therefore you're totally chill with having whatever nothing is to be what God is. And it, very interestingly, there's never ever been an example of nothing in the history of the world. Except for whatever would have preceded the world would have been the nothing. Which is also interesting that you can't point to nothing. It's really God. It's really quite amazing. But Western cultures can't deal, they just don't deal with this very well. And, and it's, see, these people don't have an issue with God. They're cool with God. I mean, they have no idea necessarily so much about God, nor do we, for that matter. But, but here, I don't know if you're getting this, here is conflict. Why? You have to, because, because if you have a beginning, that means there was a time where, or a time <laughs> where there was no beginning. Well, if you have a time there was no beginning, so then you have absolutely nothing. Well, if you have absolutely nothing, so then how can you say God's nothing? And so they, they, they need to have a definition of God, Western culture, Western religion. Because they don't deal with nothing. That's a very mature position to say nothing. I mean, that God is nothing. Like, you, know, you, better be, you better be holding what you're talking about. Now, but interestingly, what happens when you cross, and this is going to be the last point, when you cross a line with a circle, what do you get? A half circle. Give me a hint. What do you get when you cross a line with a spiral? A spiral! There's the line. There's the beginning. Yeah? No funny? You launched us. I mean, I was going to teach us anyway. You launched us into this. the temple. <laughs> okay, and this is Hanukkah. Let's say it's this part of the spiral. And, and right now we're in this like special place in time called Hanukkah. And so we're fully cyclical, yet Yet fully cyclical, yet with this linear relationship to history. Because he's not just the god of spirit, he's the god of ritual, the physical. He's god of the of the he's the god of history, which is passing through time. Like real time's passing, and there's a story here. There's a, a scenario, there's a narrative to his story. His story. And we're we're right now in his story. And 
That's why it's called history. And it's, it's really a, a coming together of it all. It's the ultimate connection of linear and cyclical. It's the ultimate connection of East and West. It's the ultimate spiritual. So if you know somebody who meditates all day, he's not spiritual. She's not a spiritual person. That's a spirit person. And if you know someone who's like always doing rituals but has no idea why they're doing it, that's a ritual person, not a spiritual person. And we know some people who are like, you know those people who are like frumed out, like turbo Jew, you know, meanwhile they have no idea what they're doing. So those are ritual Jews. And our job, though, as a nation is to be spiritual, which means spirit-infused ritual. Whatever you're doing is infused with the spirit, which comes with study. This is the study of what? That's what yeshivas usually do. And this is the study of why, which is all the ta'amiyah mitzvahs, the reasons behind the mitzvahs, the Kabbalah, and all the secrets, plus a million other reasons why you do things. I mean, it could be, a why could be because your grandparents lit Hanukkah candles, and you want to connect to them. Or it could be because you understand the battles of the Maccabees, and you want to be commemorating the victory. It just depends why you're doing it. But ultimately, it's more of the Kabbalistic studies. These are called God's will, and these are called God Himself. There's the study of God's will, and there's the study of God. That's the Kabbalah. Because you really think about it, when you're doing a mitzvah, you're really kind of involved with God's mind, like God's actual essence. This is God's essence. This is God's will. It's very nice to know what God wants, but how about connecting to the essence of God and being a spiritual Jew? It's not enough to just know what. you got to also know why. you got to connect to the essence. Can you imagine being married and your wife, after a while, like after three years, your wife or your husband, you now have made a list of like 50 things to do and not do. You know, you got like 30 things they hate, and you got like 20 things they like. you got 50 things. And then you decide, you know what? I'm just not going to connect anymore to them. I'm just going to do and not do. I'm just going to do their will. I'll do what they want and avoid what they don't want. What kind of marriage would you have? And what kind of marriage would you have if you just totally connected, like you're just the most romantic person ever with your spouse, but you totally ignore what they want and what they don't want? You just totally ignore that. How's that relationship going to be? You're going to just show up with your candles and wine and just be like, can't even look at you. you know, they're not even going to look at you in that position. So you realize that we really have to have, we really have to have both. We're living in a generation that is way overweighted on the what. And the, the education system, the education system is way overweighted on the what to the point where the girls in this room who are studying in seminary are going to have to teach their husbands why we do what we do because they've spent enormous hours studying what without the whys. And you can't expect that you're going to marry a guy who knows why we do what we do. You may get luck out. You may luck out that your zivug actually spent time studying that. But you're going to have to let go of that for the most part and, you know, have long Shabbos meals for the first year or two studying Ramchal or whatever you want to study. I don't know what you're going to study with him. And uh, you can always marry a Litvak. Litvaks know a little more. Yeah, they're boring, but they they're boring, but they know a little more of Hashkafa. And the um, it's all right. 
Is that lesson hard to call Lidfox boring? Oh. I think they take pride in it. No, I think they take pride in it. And think of the neighborhoods they live in. Posey. Boring. Lakewood. Boring. Baltimore. You can help me. Boring. I think God created New Jersey for Lidfox. Notice Hasidim like generally don't move to to New Jersey. You know? It's just, you know, they just stay out of New Jersey. But the funny thing is they're starting to move into Lakewood a little bit, but I don't know what they're going to do to, like, soup up New Jersey a little bit, you know. I don't know how they're going to do that. Anyway, but the, the point is, is that we've got to be integrated. we got to have both the what's and the why's, and then we will be truly a spiritual nation. You have a question? No, just a comment. Here comes a comment. From, <laughs> what, city, what city are you from? Brooklyn. Brooklyn. <laughs> She's not boring. Okay, go ahead. Not boring. What exit are you from? There's no exits in Brooklyn. Though. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. The yeshiva system in New York, or I guess in others, just teach the what? Very little of the why. That's what I was referring to. I was referring to the yeshiva systems, no matter what country they're in. Do you know that I, I, have, you know, I have daughters to marry off, so, so I have to interview boys. Meaning when it finally comes to like it's the perfect everything because I'm not going to marry my daughter off until it's the perfect everything for my daughter. Now I got to meet the boy. Now, how do you think the boy does when I start asking him like about 50 questions in, uh, you know, his worldview? And so should I let go of that? Like my daughter who's like extremely built in her worldview should I let go of that and let her marry just Mr. Worm? No. You know, till he finally figures out what life's about. You know, and the guy, you know, how do you get to 19 without ever even asking or thinking about it or being bothered by that? So, meaning, am I supposed to go on pure potential? Or should it bother, should it worry me that it never bothered this particular man? Or do I say, you know what, that's the generation we're in, man. Wake up, Rabbi Glazer. 2000 and 2018, kids ain't got nothing upstairs right now. It doesn't bother them that their lives are meaningless because they've got, who knows what they got on the side, you know, like, who knows what, they, what they're watching in the bathroom, you know, like, in this mind-numbing generation. And then, so that, okay, so meaning I should get over it and just take Mr., you know, two-hour bathroom break for my daughter? You know, like... Someone please, like, send me someone to marry my children. You know, like, like just someone with some something inside, you know. Because I built my kids, like, all the way. So maybe the answer is i got to find a Hasidic family who were raised like me, who later became observant, later became Hasidic. Boy, that's a big dating pool. <laughs> and not Chabad or Breslev, because... It, because, you know, not that I have anything against it, but my kids aren't necessarily going to be interested in marrying, you know, because if my daughter's married, now they're Chabad or Breza. And, you know, maybe they'd be Chabad or Breza, but they've probably never thought about that in their lives. And my sons, maybe they couldn't marry them. And they're, they're more into Ashkafa. Did your first son-in-law match up to your expectations? Yeah, yeah I ripped into him hard. <laughs> I, but it was five years ago. It's a different generation. A generation changes every hour. And it was five years ago. It's a different generation. And 
And I ripped him to shreds for an hour and a half. And you know what he said at the end? At the end of the hour and a half, I said to him, I am so sorry. And if you marry my daughter, which he was about to meet her like a minute later. But I'm like, if oh, you marry my daughter. What? He hasn't even met her yet. He hasn't met her, no. Are you kidding? You're not getting near my daughter until you pass my tests. So anyway, so after, after I ripped him to smithereens and he did well, I said to him, I'm so sorry. And if you marry my daughter, you should know I will never, ever, ever do this to you. Ever. Like that is a one-timer. Okay? Had pa me. One time. And you know what he says to me? His answer was, I'll get you back. Which means he knows he's going to marry my daughter because he knew he passed. And they were engaged like an hour later. That was it. She was 17. She wasn't even dating. Like we hadn't even opened up for dating, but I guess when God has a plan, you, you know, what can you do? Like that was it. You know? yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Spirit and ritual. That's an amazing question. I teach a lot of classes on that. Um, but one thing's for sure, I'll just give you one of the many, 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 but you can go online, it's on uh, Torney Time, it's called uh, Spiritual Warriors, Becoming a Spiritual Warrior, it's like 10 steps to getting there, and uh, one of those things, I mean, there's like becoming a Jedi spiritually, so the, uh, but one of those is you need to have a direct relationship, direct relationship with a spiritual master, not easy to do in our generation, <laughs> but you definitely need someone who's living that life. And you can have a Revenson who's living that. There are women out there living that life. I found, I found someone 24 years ago, I found that spiritual Jedi. I've never, ever veered from that. Like that's, and once I found him, I just cuffed myself to him. And uh, because I knew I'm, I'm not getting anywhere without a mentor. And so I found that guy. I handcuffed myself to him. I've been cuffed to him for 24 years. As much as he keeps trying to shake me. You know, because he, he can't stand, he can't stand people being around him. He's super, I just happen to win the lottery of finding that mentor, that Jedi, that happens to be extremely introverted and does not like people. So imagine me, super extroverted, crazy about people. And that's my mentor. So like, he's like shaking me like Herosis. You know, like he can't stop shaking me off of him. And that's 24 years. I'm just like, shake all you want, bro. I'm not leaving, Rebbe. Not going anywhere. And I've hung on there all these years. Speaking of which, i got to go see him on Hanukkah. So I'll have to make plans. Anyone want to come meet the, yes. meet the Rebbe? So I yes. definitely got to show up. I'll probably show up Thursday night Thursday at some night. point, which is when he opens his house a little. Grand what? He's the Grand Revy, the yep. Revy of the Revy. Yeah, the Grand Revy. Um, but he's got, like, no followers because he's so shaky. He's always shaking. Any other last points, questions? Okay, everyone, Hanukkah Sameach. Go light that second candle. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.